Thanks for joining us on the Oasis Church Podcast. To find out more about Oasis, visit CelebrateTheJourney.org. During this episode, Pastor Dennis Ritchie shares a great message that will lead you to new and deeper levels with Jesus Christ. So open up a Bible, grab a notebook, or simply listen along. pray that this morning the word of my mouth, the words of my mouth, and meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So for the next couple seven weeks, we are going to start a new series. It's the I am, I am, I am series. And these are the statements that Jesus makes about himself in the gospel of John. And for me, I, I it's not that these are interesting to me, um, but they're, they're more of this invitation that I feel that, that Jesus kind of presents because they're not just statements, they're revelations about who he is, about who God is. He says, I am, I am, I am. Seven times he, he uses this phrase, I am. And, it's, and it goes way beyond just describing himself. It's not like, I am tall, I am darker skinned, I am a carpenter. It, it goes back to Exodus. In Exodus chapter 3, when God is sending Moses to the people of Israel. And Moses, he, he's a little bit nervous and, and he says, well, you know, what if they ask me who you are? And God says, I am who I am. And if they ask, just tell them, I am sent you. And so there's this, this um, simplicity in that, those two little words, but yet they're very, very profound. Because later on, as Jesus comes to earth, Jesus will deepen those words, deepen our understanding of who he is and of who God is to us. And so these words that Jesus speaks are leading us, they're inviting us to know more, to press in harder, to, to understand who God is. Jesus is claiming divinity. He's claiming, I am God. I am he who said, I am, to Moses. This wouldn't have been lost on his Jewish audience. These are describing the character and the nature of God in our relationship with him and to him. And I know sometimes when, when you kind of latch on to something like this in the scripture, it can, very, it can feel kind of cliche, like, oh yeah, we're doing the I am statements of Jesus. I don't like the word statement, I like the, re- I like the word revelation. We're doing these I am revelations of Jesus But as cliche as they may feel or sound, it's good for the church to dig into these things, to understand who Jesus is, to understand who God is. How is he revealing himself to us? What's our response to that revelation? How can we respond to that that revelation? Understanding that the entire scripture, all of the Old Testament, is always pointing us to Christ. To who he is, beyond just Messiah and Savior, but to to Jesus as being God in the flesh. The scripture tells us that if we have seen Jesus, we have seen God. 
Now, when Jesus reveals these, these things about himself, they're just not these flippant little statements. They, they've, they've come in the context of just a, a bigger engagement with people and um, in the context of a story, in the context of, of how he's trying to lead people to the kingdom. The first one comes in chapter 6 of John's gospel. Now, in the beginning of chapter 6, there's a story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 people. And so he kind of sets up his disciples. He said, well, where are we going to get all this food? And and Jesus knows what he's going to do. And he feeds 5,000 people with pretty much a Lunchable. They have five small loaves of barley bread and two small fish. And so Jesus takes these things. He gives thanks after telling people to sit down. And he says to his disciples, go ahead, pass it out. All of them, 5,000, more than 5,000, eat till they're filled, till they're full. And Jesus says, let's make sure we don't waste anything. Go out and gather all the broken pieces and 12 baskets of broken pieces. 12 baskets of leftovers are collected. Now, the people are pretty impressed. I mean, they're, they're, they're sensing this guy is pretty, pretty legit. In fact, in the story, it says Jesus knows their thoughts and that by force, they want to make him king. They want to make him something that he is not in their, in their human propensity to kind of take charge and play God. They want to make Jesus king. And so Jesus kind of, he, he goes off to a quiet place. There's uh, the next part of the, the chapter six is the, uh, the disciples, they, they get in the boat. They start to go across the lake. Uh, Jesus walks on water, freaks them all out. But they end up on this other side of the lake. And this is where Jesus begins the first revelation, the first I am revelation. Maybe not. Sue, can you go forward? There we go. Oh, that's why. Hang on. Perfect. John chapter 6, verses 25 through 27. When they found him on the other side, and this is the crowd, the people that he has served the the bread and the fish to. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Now, I got to love Jesus because, so he finishes feeding all these people. He, he cruises across the lake and it, it says in the story that the people realize Jesus isn't there. So they go off, they get in their boats and they start looking for him and they find him and they're like, Rabbi, uh, you know, when did you get here? And Jesus knows it's just nothing but small talk. It's like, you know, fancy meeting you here, Jesus. We weren't all just looking for you because you just fed us, you know, bread and fish. Jesus cuts right to the chase. He understands that in their heart and in their mind, they have this materialistic, um, materialistic, what's the word I'm looking for? Philosophy of who Jesus is and what they expect. Jesus met a very physical need. They were hungry, and in a big way, he gave them food. He gave them enough food so they all ate and were full. But they've missed the real significance of what Jesus has done. 
Like, like imagine, imagine my mom said um, a few weeks ago, now my mom is 72, she went to the Leonard Skinner, Marshall Tucker, Charlie Daniels concert. I'm like, you go, mom. And some old guy hit on her and wanted to buy her a drink. And she said no, because we have an understanding, unless he's really rich, there is no dating. But I digress. So, so, but just think about, you're at a concert, and God says, I want you to feed all of these thousands of people. Think about it. And you go, God, all I have is my Lunchable. It's got six crackers, six pieces of ham, six pieces of cheese, and a Milky Way. And then you go off and you walk up to the first person because you're being obedient to the Lord. And you say, I would like to give you my Lunchable. And you just give them everything you have. And you look down and it's not empty. And then you go to the next person and give them everything you have. And you look down and it's not empty. Even the Milky Way has been reproduced. This is what happens This is what Jesus has done. 5,000 people with five small loaves of bread and two small fish. But yet, these people, as I'm sure what would happen today, they miss the spiritual significance of what took place. They miss the very presence of God among us, among them. All they saw was free food. And they got free food. Instead of seeing the bread as a sign of God's presence, all they saw in the sign was bread. And their bellies were full. You know, there's there's times in my life, there are seasons in my life where I tend to, to focus on stuff, on things. On the things that I need or the things that I think I need and, and even things, things that I want. And, and sometimes I wrestle with this thing in my spirit that, that Jesus becomes a principle that I need to engage in order to get stuff. In order to get the, the physical blessings of, of life. Now, now, don't get me wrong. The scripture is clear that, that we are to make our requests known to God. That he will provide the things that we need. That's what the scripture teaches. In fact, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul tells the church, he says that, that God will supply all of your needs through the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So the scripture talks about going to God with, with our needs, our, even our desires. But when he only becomes that, when he only becomes the, the drive-up window and, and we can order things, then we are missing who he is in our lives. We are missing the spiritual depth of who God is and how he wants to reveal himself to us. Jesus tells the people, if you're going to labor, if you're going to search, if you're going to row your boat across the lake, then, then do it for the right reasons. Do it for, for the correct stuff. Do it for a food that will last forever. Do it for eternal life type of things. There, is, there are things that are much more important than the temporary stuff that this world has to offer us. There's something much more important that we should be focusing on in our lives. There's something much more than just the creature comforts that a good job and a good paycheck and a good community that it can offer us. 
We're talking about eternity and life, this physical life that we are living in the context of eternity is, is, is just a blink of an eye. There's something that goes way beyond this. Something that's much more important than just this. I'm not saying this life isn't important, but when it's just about this, we've missed the point. The food that will be given that endures to eternal life. This, this gift from God. Jesus says, don't work for food that's, that's temporary. Don't, don't work for things that aren't that important. Work for the correct thing. And I can only imagine these people hearing this. They, they just were fed. They look for Jesus. They find him. Their brains have got to be churning. And we know that because in the next couple of verses, they still don't quite understand what Jesus is talking about. They still are, are missing the point. And again, it's evidenced in their response. They ask him, what must we do to do the works, of God, that, the works God requires? So Jesus says, work for food unto eternal life. And they say, well, well what do we have to do? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. They have missed that this life that Jesus is offering is a gift from God. Because of their upbringing, because of their understanding of the Torah, because of how they've been brought up, they are missing that there is a work, but it's not the work that they think. They continue to look at their salvation. They continue to look at the relationship with God as something they have to labor in. As, as they have to follow the law in order to get in God's good graces, in order to have eternal life or salvation. Now, <laughs> It's, it's just kind of the way we think. It's kind of the way we're wired. Humanity still does this today. What are the things I need to do to get right with God? How many things do I need to be doing? When I have conversations with people um, that, that don't go to church or, or don't fully understand who God is, and you ask questions about like heaven or hell, like, you know, where, who goes to heaven, who goes to hell? Many will, many will say, well, I have not, or they have not killed someone. Right away, it's about this, about this performance thing. Well, I haven't killed anyone, so I'm a, what, a good person, so I should get into heaven. It's common for people who don't know God and who haven't engaged the scripture to base eternal life on the things that they have done or the things that they have not done. I'm basing their, their acceptance of God um, against a, a certain morality or a certain ethical behavior. Right away, we want to go to a performance thing. Right away, we want to go to an action thing. And so they ask, well, what are the works, plural, that God requires? What are the things that we have to do? And Jesus, knowing what they've been brought up in and understanding who they are, Jesus says, well, there is a work, singular, the work of God, singular, is to do just one thing. Believe in the one who he has sent. Believe in the one that God has sent. Faith in the one that God has sent. Now these people are not, not asking about like, what is the one thing I need to do? They're asking like, how do we, fo what, what is the focus of our lives? 
What is the course of action that we are to take in life? And Jesus says, believe in the one that God has sent. Believe in the one. The Jews hearing this are thinking along the lines of their Jewishness. They're thinking, how do we live the law in such a way that is pleasing to God? What are the do's and don'ts that we have to follow that will please God in the context of eternal life? But God doesn't work that way. God doesn't ask us to pile up a bunch of attaboys. God doesn't want, God doesn't give us this list of do's and don'ts and say, okay, you need to have more check marks in the do list and less in the don't list. And once you've filled up the do list, then, then maybe we'll let you in. Then you can have eternal life. Like when we have enough merit, then God takes notice of us and decides, well, I think I'll save that person because look at how good they're behaving. But in that, have you ever felt the work of faith? Have you ever felt the work of, because at times, I believe if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes it feels like, like work. Faith can be challenging. Paul writes to the Thessalonian church. He says that, um, I remember you before God because of the work of your faith. See, a faith in Christ manifests itself in our lives. A faith in Christ will manifest itself in the way we live. It's not just an academic knowledge, an intellectual knowledge that there is a God. In fact, if you ask people, just ask, do you believe in God? Many, many of them, I would venture to guess more than less would say, yeah, I believe in God. Now, they, ha- they probably or they can believe in a God that they have created in their own image. They believe that there is a God, a, a higher power. But even the devil believes in God. Demons believe in God. And so the faith that the scripture talks about is is something much deeper and it presses into us. And there should be an evidence in our lives that we have put faith in the one who God has sent. That we believe with everything that we have in the one that God has sent. Now please, please understand that we do not work our way into faith. We don't merit ourselves into faith. Faith is not this list of do's. If I do this, do this, do this, do this, then then I have faith. But real faith in Jesus, a, a, a biblical foundational faith in Christ transforms us. And that's because the Holy Spirit has taken over, taken control, transformed our inner being. And then we begin to live in a different way than what the world dictates to us. And so there should be some evidence to our faith in Christ. We live in a different way. It's contrary to many of the things that the world thinks are important. Many of the things that the world say is okay. And yet, though we are transformed, though we have the power of the spirit within us, and we're strengthened to live and walk in faith, 
we still wrestle against that sin nature in our soul. I think Casey did a great job last week kind of discussing soul, spirit, and body. And so we wrestle with this, this ebb and flow, this push and pull in our soul, soul to live in the way that faith is calling us and inviting us to live. But the work that is required for eternal life is as simple as faith in the one who God sent. Believing Jesus is the son of God sent here to pay for our sin. That there is nothing in us that is righteous, but the righteousness of God has come through us by the cross of Christ. And you know, we don't, we don't even get to judge other people and uh, let, me, let me just let me back up a little bit. We have to be careful in judging others and their faith walk. Many times Christians use the term, there should be fruit to our lives. And I totally agree. There should be that evidence. But how much evidence is enough evidence to say that you have a Faith that leads to salvation and you don't. How good do you have to be in order for somebody to put their their check of approval on you? We have to be very careful in judging somebody else's faith walk. Least we be judged in the same way. Because don't be fooled. We all struggle with following Jesus. We all struggle. We, we, we have this moment of, of transformation and belief that the spirit of the Lord comes upon you and you've been justified in that moment. And then the sanctification process, process is long and painful and back and forth and ebb and flow. And the, real, the realization is this, that we all need the grace of God in our lives. We all need his mercy. We all need to understand the reality that God loves each and every one of us and that we are all in process. We are all in process and he is working and loving us within our failures, within our struggles, even within our own darkness. Yes, there should be evidence of faith in your life, but be careful to judge others. So the story continues. Hmm. I don't think I'm going to read all this. Start in verse 30. So they asked him, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Now, this is the crowd asking Jesus. They, they want some evidence like they don't have enough. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Now, it helps to have a, a little understanding of the Jewish tradition when it comes in the con- and what they believed about the Messiah. The Jewish expectation was when the Messiah comes that he is going to uh, renew the miracle of manna. So in the desert, um, 
Israel's wandering 40 years. God gives them this bread from heaven, this, this manna. Every morning, except on the Sabbath, they're supposed to pick up just enough for that day, except on uh, the day before the Sabbath, they're supposed to pick up two days. And what they believed was that when the Messiah returned, or when, the, I'm sorry, when the Messiah comes, that this miracle of manna would be uh, reenacted, that they would be given this permanent supply of bread. And so they're kind of, they're kind of uh, shadowing Jesus, say, hey, listen, this is what our ancestors got. And there's this underlying belief that if you're the Messiah, then you need to reestablish this whole bread from heaven thing. We need a sign for you to believe, for us to believe. Not that feeding 5,000 people with a few small loaves of bread and fish wasn't a sign. It wasn't enough. They want something else. And Jesus is trying to change this, this earthbound mindset and bring them to an understanding of bread of God, bread from heaven, who he is in the context of blessing the people. Paul would write that, that Jewish people, they always wanted the sign. And they, they've got one, but it wasn't enough. What they experienced in that one feeding wasn't enough to kind of penetrate this dullness of heart and soul and mind. They're relying on their tradition. They're relying on these expectations that have been established that the Messiah needs to do this. They have missed the points. And they actually tell God, kind of, okay, God, Jesus, this is what we need you to do in order for us to believe. Now, sometimes I like to get all self-righteous when I'm reading the Bible and just turn up my nose at the people in the scripture. Like, how could they ever do, like, if I saw Jesus, I would not do that. I would be that one person that just believed and, and did everything that Jesus asked and didn't doubt. I mean, these people, they, they have Christ in front of them and they, 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 they go about it in all the wrong way. And I kind of just have this self-righteousness to say, not me. I would never tell God what to do before I believed I would never tell God how to handle any situation that I'm in so it works out in my favor. I would never test God to see if he is God by giving him a test. But isn't that, if we're honest, exactly what we do from time to time in our life? God, if you're really God then could you please do this? We, we, try, to, we try to take the, the, the prickles off it by saying, please. God, if you love me, then could you? I've had many a conversation with people who are really wrestling with believing in God and, and they say, well, if he would just do this, then I would believe. Maybe, maybe not. God has revealed himself that way to many people. But maybe not. These people want manna. They want what they believe to be the bread from heaven. Jesus' miracle, feeding all those people, that's one and done. It was a nice trick, but you know, we want the every day for the rest of our lives to get up in the morning and have bread. 
Maybe they forgot that Israel complained that it was the same thing over and over again. But that's what they want. They believe that the Messiah was going to meet their expectations. They have no real understanding of who Jesus is, the miracle that they just witnessed. They have no real understanding of who God is trying to reveal to them in his son. Jesus didn't come just to give them bread. He didn't come to to reestablish the manna drop every morning. Actually, he didn't come to satisfy any of these materialistic expectations that people put on him. He came to establish a kingdom, and that's the kingdom of God. He came to establish eternal life. And yes, there are physical consequences that we enjoy because of our walk with Jesus. But that's not why he came. He came for a much deeper spiritual reason. He came to give us a life that could be lived with God in his presence for eternity. And these people are focusing on bread. Not even peanut butter and jelly, just bread. Man, how we settle for so much less than what God wants to give us. How we settle for scraps. How, how we have forgotten eternity. How we have forgotten that Jesus, when he returns, is going to renew and fix this whole big mess that we've made of the world. We have forgotten some, many times in our, in our own walk the, the, the idea, the truth of a new heaven and a new earth. We have forgotten that during that time when Jesus returns and establishes finally once and for all his kingdom here on earth, that we don't even need the sun and the moon because the glory of God will be our light. That he will wipe every tear from our eye. No more death and sickness. How we have settled for scraps. How we have settled for bread. Well, Jesus continues to reel them in. And just to make sure that he is perfectly clear with them, to the best understanding that he believes that they can receive, all of this talk about bread and manna and, and, and the eternal bread from, he- or the, the bread from heaven and the bread from God, Jesus makes the first claim in verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He is the bread of life. Bread was this constant staple in in the life of of Middle Eastern culture. You always had bread. It It was the thing. Jesus said, I am the bread that gives life. I am the bread from heaven. I am the bread of God. Me, myself, I am the one who God is going to give you, that's going to sustain you, that's going to feed you. Not in the way that you have this expectation, but in a very different way. Jesus is the one who sustains our spiritual life. He is the one who nourishes our spiritual life. And by doing so, strengthens and nourishes us for this physical world that we live in. Jesus has offered something much more. He has revealed something much more. Something extremely better than the scraps that we, were, we would settle for. 
He's offered something that will satisfy against things that never satisfy. Whoever comes to him, whoever comes to him, whoever brings their, their whole self from the, from the superficial outside to the deep down inside where you don't let anybody in, our whole self, when we come to Jesus, the depths of who we are, when we come to him in that way, his promises, we will never be hungry and we will never be thirsty. When we come to him with that, with um, recognizing that inner pull and angst, that if, if this is all there is, then, then this is a waste of time. When we come to him wanting more, not just food or the physical materialistic things that, that are in our focus, but we want more of something that maybe we can't even put our hands on. When we come to him and or we can't fully verbalize, when we come to him in that way, he says, you won't be hungry and you won't be thirsty. Now, that doesn't mean that your desire doesn't grow for the things of the, in, in the spiritual world. That doesn't mean your desire doesn't grow for more of Christ. I hope it does continually. I hope you're always have this little bit of hunger for the things of God and the things of the spiritual world. But in that hunger, you will be satisfied. In that hunger and in that constant looking, God is going to feed you. Your desire will always be fulfilled when you look, for, look to Christ. And I was thinking through this. If our spiritual hunger won't go unsatisfied, Jesus promised that he is this bread of life, eternal life. And if our spiritual hunger is satisfied, if, if it says that we'll never be hungry, we'll never be thirsty in, in, in that deep place in our, in our very soul, then why, why is the church so, why does the church seem so spiritually malnourished? Now, the answer I found was, simple we look to every other thing before we look to Christ we look at what the world can give us we look at how the world can fulfill us oh don't get me wrong we don't push Jesus out of the picture completely it's, it's Jesus plus my job, my bank account my hobby, my relationship my house, my car Jesus and. But you know, your car is always going to break down. Your house is always going to need repairs. Eventually you'll retire from the job that you have. Money gets spent and you get more and it gets spent. But the one thing that you will never use up is the bread from heaven, Jesus Christ. The more you press in, the more he is willing to give of himself, to reveal of himself, to feed you, to sustain you, to nourish that, that inner being, that inner man, that inner woman who, who just desperately wants more of, of something more than this world can offer. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am your sustenance. I am what is going to nourish your soul. It's not job. It's not your money. It's not, your, it's not even your health. It's not those relationships. It's not people. It's not you being accepted. It's not you being rejected. Jesus said, I am the 
bread of life. I am the food that leads you to eternity. And so I want to encourage you that as you, you're just kind of going through your days and figuring out life, where do you look for your sustenance and nourishment? What's your priority? I would encourage you to look to the bread that is from heaven. Jesus has revealed the simplicity of faith, <laughs> the complexity of faith, and that when we're down on ourselves, when we've failed again, when we've oopsed again, Jesus is right there to pick us up, to nourish us back to health. Feed us the very thing that we need. And I find it interesting, especially in my own life, when I've messed up, when I have, when I have done something that I know, that I know God um, has called me in a different direction, the very, the very one that I should return to to be healed and nourished and sustained is the very one I tend to keep away from. Don't stay away. Go to him. He will be your fill. He will nourish. He will build you back up. Father, we thank you for the simplicity of the picture that you are, through Christ, our bread for life. Now empower us to live the faith that you've called us to, Nourish us to live the faith that you've called us to. But always let us, as we show grace to others, that we would show grace to ourselves. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. We'll see you next week. Look for the email about Bethann and Dave. Maybe baby pictures. Sure. Peace.